I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Hi, welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Kate. This is Mike. We are again rerunning an episode this week. This episode was the first episode, January 1st, 2019. And this episode is with the author of one of my top favorite books I've ever read called Emergent Strategy. And her name is Adrienne Marie Brown. And we are rerunning this episode because currently in the United States, we are in the midst of, I think, the largest civil rights movement of all time perhaps. And obviously it's rippling out to the world. And it is a really important time to be talking about Black Lives and Black Lives Matter. And Adrienne Marie Brown does a lot of work with Black Lives Matter. And she in particular looks at biomimicry and the way that our natural world and our biology can give us ideas for solutions to our human lives. Wait, what? What's biomimicry is? <laughs> biomimicry is looking at our biology and at the natural world as a source of solutions to our human problems. So, so she looks at like, for example, the way that birds flock as guidance for organizing in social justice movements. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. She's so amazing. I think we mentioned this in the podcast and I didn't know what it was. But okay. Now I, know. I also want to give out a shout out to Titi Lyo Tanubu Ali, who is a friend and a member of Origin, who originally turned me on to Adrian's work. And so Adrian Marie Brown is the author of Emergent Strategy, Shaping Change, Changing Worlds, and the co-editor of Octavia's Brood, Science Fiction from Social Justice Movements. She is also the New York Times bestselling author of Pleasure Activism, which had not been published at the time of this interview, but has now been published. And it is jaw-droppingly amazing. And it is not, perhaps, it's not what I thought it was going to be. It's so much better. And then she was published with AK Press, correct? Is yes. that who published the book? And this was the first New York Times bestselling mm-hmm. author. Yeah, very exciting. So she is a writer, a social justice facilitator, a pleasure activist, a healer, and a doula living in Detroit. So this conversation starts off with Adrian talking about why she thinks so many people are obsessed, in particular with emergent strategy, but also all of her work. And I really love the way she talks about that. And then we talk about the tendency in the spirituality world to spiritual bypass the difficulty and just the intensity of conversations about race and inequity and oppression. And she talks about how the two can coexist because the conversation about spirituality and social justice coexist brilliantly in her work. And she is one of the people who I just think is really such a great leader in how to talk about the intersection of both and how both are important and both matter and both can coexist in the same body and in the same body of work. 
So we talked about that. She talked about answering her call to be a doula, despite somebody being somebody who does not like blood. She talks about time bending and pleasure and how she works with time, what living a yes life means, how you can live a yes life, and why doula work doesn't just involve births, and who Adrienne writes for and who she doesn't write for, which I think is very important for all of us to identify always, but right now, especially. You've, I think you've covered pretty much everything. So <laughs> <laughs> I just noticed that the email address on here to email current sponsorship opportunities, if interested, is wrong on the website with the write-up of this. But anyway, that's a side note for people on the podcast. I really enjoyed re-listening to it. Just so you know, the audio quality, I didn't realize we had some poor audio quality back in the day. It's a little echoey, so but you can still hear us, so it's fine. So I believe we've improved that since then. And then also she talks about like why her work resonates with people because I started noticing. You'll hear it in there, so I'm not going to go deeper into that. And then also she answered the question about what if you're nervous to say stuff? Like you're not sure what to say or speaking up about this situation we're in right now or just anything in your life. And she talks about what her view is on that and how to feel comfortable when you are and not being nervous about like, oh, am I going to say the wrong thing? Am I going to offend somebody? It's just like being. So she talks about that in the episode as well. I really enjoyed, I, I'm enjoying re-listening to old episodes that we've been on or that we've been on. We're on <laughs> guess, pretty much all of our episodes. I guess it's our podcast. Yeah, so we're on all of them. Yeah, it's it's painful, but good, at least for me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's good to... I notice, too, sometimes I talk too much. Not at a lot. I've heard far worse. But there's just a little bit too much in it. So it's been good to just recap to be like, oh, I could do better at that. Awesome. <laughs> Enjoy, <laughs> Adrian. It's recording. I'm so excited. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I just, so Emergent Strategy, I read this book this summer and I, you know, I don't know you, but I do think that you can get to know someone's heart through their writing. And I just, I love your heart and I'm so grateful for you being here and for, I know that you're really busy and it's been quite a deal organizing this. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I am really grateful for all the people who have read. And I feel like what happens is people recognize the ideas inside themselves. Like they recognize like, oh, I feel this. I feel this is true. And so then it opens up the part. Of, it's like you really are loving the part of yourself that's like, I'm still connected to all that's alive. And then it's like, Adrian told me that. And then like, I think. I get the like deep the sort of sloughing off of love that comes from that bigger, bigger love, but I appreciate it mm. so much. And the scheduling has been, I really am at the place now where I'm like, oh, I actually need an assistant or I actually need like help with those things. I've been trying to resist for, you know, for years. I was like, everyone should just be able to manage their own lives. Like what, you know? And I'm just like, no, I can't do it. <laughs> so, this was me trying to schedule my own life, trying to be like, I can schedule a podcast. It's no big deal. So, yes. wow. I mean, I, I was, I was like, I was like, well, I'll just, you know, we'll just, I'll just keep 
being persistent, surely. Well, and you're so busy. Y'all are doing your whole own lives too. And doing, I mean, y'all do a ton of work and creating and living. So we, yeah, we're all, we, you know, yeah, we're all, we're all doing amazing things. And I love what you just said about that. This book, you know, reminds us what we already know on some level, but you articulated it in a way that I have never heard articulated. And Mm -hmm. as a woman who is involved in the movements that you're in, for you to say some of these things that A, you say really differently than I've ever read before, but then B, to be coming from such a place of depth Mm -hmm. and your activism and an understanding of the world that like some of maybe the spiritual teachings that I've read really do not have that depth and understanding of the world. I think that there's a deepening and a deep resonance and a truth to how you're saying it that I have not found other places. So Thank you. You know, I do think we live in this really fascinating moment of history where it's like the paths have, have diverged. So you can really be a, you know, you can be a social justice activist, social justice warrior, you can be doing that work and really be out of touch with spirit and with planet and with these larger systems. And conversely, you can be very deeply like, all I do is think about how to connect my chakras with the root chakras and like all the stuff is, you know, I'm feeling and I bend over and I do all this stuff, but I lost track of the action component of that or like that that being in all those relationships changes your accountability to being alive, your responsibility for what's around you. And so some of it is just saying like, those things are not separate. Like actually they come from the same, you know, there's an aliveness that's moving through them and a protection and a love that has, we have to do it together or, you know, both sides start to become, I think you can kind of become myopic. You know, you're just like, Oh, it's only what we're doing. That's the only thing that matters. But when you pull it together, then you're like, oh, this is everything. This is everything that matters. But it's like all together, it's, you know, we are whole beings, whole systems. So I often say that I work with some of the most incredible humans on the planet. And I see them not valuing that precious thing that they have. You know, I'm like, you're saving the world and you matter. You have to be here, (laughs) you know, to say, you know, like we need as much of you as we can get how do we get you to feel inside yourself for what your limits are and when you need rest and like when you need a paleo month or whatever it is, you know, like how do we get, get that alignment to happen? I want to know, I want to talk about time. Um, That was one of the, the through lines that throughout the book that I just really appreciated the way you discuss time. And it's very apropos of our conversation about scheduling. <laughs> and, and like, and, and yeah, what is time anyway, right? Can we actually manage our own lives? Do we need help with that? What is time? And I noticed from following you on Instagram that you just got back from Thailand. I also read on your blog, some of your adventures uh, <laughs> of the gastrointestinal issue you had was, I'm so sorry that happened. And also it was so funny. <laughs> I know if you're going to have a very, my sister, you know, it was a fecal experience with fecal miracles and, and all of that built into it. But you know, what's funny is I really was by myself, right? Cause like normally you go through something like that and you're like, Oh, well somebody somewhere that I know is awake and I can be like, Oh my God, this is happening to me after nonstop amazing time. But you know, like I was like with this baby God, being a doula helping to, 
you know, introduce this little one to the world and to diapers and like, you know, what's going on. And then all of a sudden I had food poisoning or, you know, and apparently that's the thing. Like, you know, it's like, if you go to Thailand with a sort of sensitive Western tummy, then you're going to have a moment at some point probably. And I was like, okay, I'm having that moment. And my friend and the baby were asleep because they'd had a whole night of being up. And then everyone I knew elsewhere in the world was asleep. So I was like, well, I have to just write then. I have to like make myself laugh right now because this is outrageous. This is outrageous that my body is going to do this and that I might survive it. <laughs> so. And and what an offering, what an offering that post was. So we'll link it in the show notes because it's really you need fun. To read about the runs. They need a poem. You got to read about the runs, but you have to read about the runs in the way that you write about the runs. Thank you. Thank <laughs> it's you. Very Thank unique. You. Um, I, like, turn, I, I was on one that particular moment. Yes, really. The, the words were flowing as well. <laughs> matter. So. <laughs> so back to time. So you yeah. went. You spent a month um, being a doula and. And so we have a new baby. She's eight months old. We also have a three-year-old. We appreciate doulas very much so. And what I was so struck by is that, okay, so you're doing amazing work with Black Lives Matter. You're doing amazing work with Emergent Strategy. You've got a new book that you're working on, Pleasure Activism. Obviously, your life is full. I clearly have no idea the other things that you do, right? And, And yet, and yet you flew across the world to spend a month with a new baby. So talk to me about how that is and how you made that decision and your relationship to time that would allow that to be possible. That's great. Yeah, I love this question. You know, I feel like many people, you know, there was a moment, I think like when I was graduating from high school where where some guidance counselor came and talked to us and was like, it used to be that you would just have one career and one thing and you would just do that thing your whole life. And that time is no more. And now you're going to have probably two or three careers in your lifetime or something. And I just took it, you know, to overload. And I was just like, I can, you mean I can do everything I want to do. So I'm going to do all the things. And so I've said yes to a lot of different life paths, most of which, you know, can flow with each other. And then some of which really are like, Oh, this is so distinct. It's its own time. And so I just have to carve out the time and, it was a magical thing. The doula path, particularly, I resisted it for a long time because I was just like, I don't like blood. I've never had a kid out of my own body. What do I know about this? I don't know if I want to see the vagina go through all that. I don't know. And I was just like, oh no, I really don't know about this. And then I kept being called multiple times. And then I witnessed a carjacking happen behind my house. And I was the first person, I didn't witness carjacking, but I was the first person to hear the woman scream and run down to be with her. And someone else called 911. Someone else went out. Two of my other neighbors chased the man who had been attacking her when they got him. But I was sitting with this woman who had just been being attacked, viciously attacked. And so she's bleeding. All this, her face is swelling up. All this stuff is going on. And we just had this like sacred moment where I was just sort of like, you're so incredible. You just saved your own life here. Like you did not surrender. And this is now your life. You're going to, you know, we just like had this moment she was like I'm here I'm you know like it was just like a really beautiful and I was like okay you know when we're in those life or death moments the blood and all that stuff doesn't really matter that much it's just like whoa like we're right here at the precipice and this is incredible and so death doula life doula you know I'm feeling that that is a different kind of time and I want to give a couple months each year to practicing that so it's kind of worked out that way for the past few years that I've had one close friend or family member who had a baby and then I get to go be their doula 
And for a few of them, I've been there for the actual birth. For a couple of them, one of them, I showed up an hour after the birth. Like it was a really fast, it was a C-section. We knew it was going to be a C-section. And they were like four hours away. And so I got there, <laughs> you know. And then I love the postpartum doula work. Like I love the aftercare where it's just like, we're outside of time for real. Like this baby doesn't know about light and dark, night, sleep, parents having other needs. They don't know anything. They don't know anything. It's all just like, there's a sensation in my body. <laughs> you know? okay. That's it. And it's just like so beautiful. And it's the same way at the end of life, where it's just like, there's a sensation in my body and I need you to help me and hold me through it. And so that, I feel like I learned so much from those times and then it's a negotiation of the rest of it. It's just like with the clients I have, the BLM and Movement for Black Lives, BYP 100, folks like that, who I love working with, a lot of them, you know, they're very understanding. And they, I think they recognize that they benefit if I go off and have these other kinds of time. So I try to flow in and out. I'm also really in a good community. There's a lot of great facilitators. And so I'm trying to just pull more folks in. I'm learning a lot about how to share and teach emergent strategy as a facilitation tool. So if someone's like, I'm already a great facilitator, then I'm learning like, okay, how can I add the emergent strategy piece to that? So that this next year, I'm hoping that I'm barely facilitating at all. And then it's mostly these other folks who are facilitating. And then I can spend a lot of time either teaching and training or being a doula. Again, there's another person who I might be a doula for this year. And I have to say, I think that changing up how you spend your time elongates the time of your life like I think mm-hmm. if you fall too much into routine I think life starts to collapse in on itself and you know your time becomes so rote and so expected or at least for me I don't want to project that on anyone else but for me I find that you know I can do the routines for a bit and then I'm like okay now it's time for an adventure and a perspective shift you know I really I'm like I want to see the world from the other side or, you know, I love leaving the country and just being like, okay, this is not the only experiment in how humans are doing society. It's really helpful to see other experiments and eat other foods and, you know, see other cultures around like conflict and just being in the street, like is the tendency towards kindness or towards yelling or just like, it's different in all these places. And we get so centered, at least I, I get so centered on like what's happening in the U.S. and like, you know, everything that matters. I'm like, it's just not everything that matters to a huge number of people in the world. And Most maybe like, you know, a lot of poops, you know, flows downstream from us. But I think that there's a lot of other folks figuring out like, this is just not what we're thinking about. Y'all have made some bad decisions politically. Hopefully we'll all survive that. But we also have our own lives. So I think all of those things elongate time, right? That you're like, anticipation makes time go longer, right? Mm-hmm. When you're like, I have something to look forward to that I can't wait for. And so like the time stretches out because you're like, oh, you know, like I just came from being in New Orleans with my college group of women, one of whom survived breast cancer this year. And it was just like, we were just talking about the anticipation, like we scheduled it. And then it was just like, in December, we're all going to be together in New Orleans. And it was just like such build up to it. And we're like, okay, we have to just have this on the horizon for every year that we can anticipate being with each other and being away from the rest of life. And, you know, it's like, to me, it's almost like that's, that's what freedom really looks like is having a lot of agency move through time the way you want to, if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And then how do you, so based off the example you just used with your girlfriends, like the anticipation buildup is exciting. Yes. And then it happens. Yes. Which is exciting. And then you come home, right? Like it's in marketing and sales, like buyer's remorse. I bought this thing. Now I feel bad. Now it's over. Right. You're like, I bought this thing. I did this thing. Now it's done. I mean, there's some reveling. Reveling is important. So we took a lot of pictures. We made a Spotify playlist and we have a text thread. So we've been like really reveling. Like we just did one of the best things ever. And one of us who's the Capricorn amongst us is already like, okay, what's the next city that we're going to? So we can start to plan and start to, you know, while we're still fresh in the moment, keep having it. I also would say this, I think it's really important to establish a beautiful quality of your daily life that like every day, even though I change my relationship to time and what I'm doing, almost every single day of my life feels really sacred and like, you know, like I feel pretty great about, you know, like, so if I'm like, when I was in New Orleans, the first part of it, I was doing a facilitation gig with BYP 100. And I was like, I love these people. <laughs> like I went, you know, I wake up and I'd be like, oh my gosh, like I, I get to work with these human beings who, to me, it's like being in a room with a very young Harriet Tubman and a young Fannie Lou Hamer and a young Tony K. Bambara and like a young Angela Davis and just being in a room while they're figuring out like, okay, how do we navigate all this revolutionary energy that we have towards something, you know, concrete for this next year. So that's super exciting. And then I'll have a writing day and I'm like, oh my gosh, like today I just get to work on this book about pleasure. And what do I know about that? What do I think about that? And so I think that this is kind of like the level stays the same, even if the thing is different, but you should be just as like orgasmically, yes, this is what I want to do with my time and and again that to me feels like freedom where i'm like i have a sense of it and it's not outside of like i need to earn a living but i do get you know i'm like i earn it through these yeses instead of through i think a lot of people earn their living through no's you know learn their mm-hmm. earn their living through something where they wake up and they're like oh i have to now put on clothes and go be around people i don't like doing stuff i hate and i don't think it's going to change the world for the better and then come home and like get through a couple of hours of not that quality time with my kids maybe and eat some crap, watch a show, go to sleep. And I'm like, you're a miraculous being. Is that really how you're going to spend it? (laughs) You know? And some part of it's got to be great. (laughs) Some part of it has to just be really, really great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up for when you're in a situation where you aren't making your living with the yes. Yeah. So we do, we're so blessed and privileged to make our living through the yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's some stuff we don't feel like doing, but we do it. Um, But this this moment, you know, this is part of what we do. And it's just like such a dream that I get to read a book and then, then have a conversation with the author. Well, and it's so amazing that you're doing it together, you know, that you're like, we love each other and we love exploring stuff and getting excited together. Like, that's a really dream level too. You know, it's like, I think that that's so important is who are your soulmates or who are the people that you get to play with in life? Sometimes you can have a shitty job, but if you've got a great person that you're rolling with, it's like, it's okay. You know, (laughs) you know, right. Right. It's like, so even if you're making your living with the no, it's to, it's to find those places. Is it that you're then coming home to your soulmate or or with your kid? Is that kind of where you're 
I mean, I think that that's a step in the right direction, right? Like if you, if you're like, okay, I, I found someone, but I'm like, don't be in a shitty relationship and a shitty job and a shitty life. You know, it's just like, choose something. But then I do think it's beautiful to see the people who are like in a workplace that they don't necessarily love, but then they find people inside that place and they can really be like, okay, us, we love each other and we're supporting each other's greater good. And so then our life and our bonding and our relationship is not just about the complaints that we share with each other but there's something else that we're really building on. I think that's really the thing is like having a life that is shaped around a negativity at the core of it is like, I'm complaining. I'm not happy. I feel totally obligated. Everything is done by duty. You know, there, there's no space there for happiness. I'm like, I actually think humans have gone through many centuries of having to live like that, having to figure it out just yeah. how to keep our heads above water. And now we're in a transition moment and, one of my teachers in an absentia, Jimmy Boggs, who was married to Grace Boggs, and the two of them were like huge teachers here. One of the things he talked about was like the technological evolution and like, what does that make possible for us? Like if all these things can start to be automated and we are no longer like just fully responsible for the lift creating things, then what do we do with our time? Then what is humanity's purpose? And I love that question. And I think that ties into this like, yes, no piece. Cause I'm like, okay, if you don't have to be a cog in the system, if the systems can be automated or systems can be evolved so that cog is not your role, even if it was a role that everyone in your you know, lineage has played, now you get a different role. And so for a couple of centuries, it's been like education, you know, like, oh, I will get educated and I will go learn to be, you know, something above my station. I will go do this. I'll go. But now I'm like, I think it's even more than that. I'm like, I think the need for a haves and have nots is breaking apart with, can break apart with technology. I think a lot of the stuff that we have assumed has to be the stratus of class can fall apart. I think now so many more people can live a yes. And so then we have to be like, okay, what are all the yes lives? How do they become abundance producers, right? Like, oh, my friend, Bryant Terry, lives a yes life. He writes books about veganism and Afro-veganism and vegan soul food, this stuff. He's awesome. And he just lives in alignment with that yes, bringing great food to people. You know, it's like, oh, it's not like food production stopped being a need, but it's like so many parts of that are automated. Now we can get creative about what really belongs in our bodies. And like, how do we teach that to each other? That's a yes life, you know? So I think that I'm like, you know, I'm always like asking people like, well, what matters to you? What brings you joy? What do you want to spend your time doing? How do you slowly increase that and slowly decrease the rest until it's most days you can wake up and be like, yes, this is the life I created for myself and I love it. What about like internal programming? Because I feel like a lot of the <laughs> the no life or the no instinct, you know, if, we, if you grew up with like, if everything in the house was always a no, Yes, right. no so, is the way. And pleasure right. and, and was pleasure. not celebrated yes. or encouraged. That's it's great. like how, it's very easy to be like, well, I'm going to live a yes life now. But if I'm, so like, how do you, during all the work that you've, in the seminars you've taught, like, what is the first step to be able to say, all right, I'm going to stop living this no life. That's Amen. great. Because I know, Kate, you told me this along, I think maybe Anne Davin told you or something about the no males it's about the no. Oh no, that was I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Mama Gina, Regina Thomas Hour. 
a mama Gina school of womanly arts. She, she talks a lot about pleasure and, and anyway, so she, she actually yeah. just called me this morning. So perfect that we're talking about her, but she said that men tend to have this knee jerk. No, that like, you know, and of course this is, this is in a heterosexual couple where it's uh-huh. often that the woman will bring something. Oh, I'm excited about whatever, you know, that's, that's whatever the feminine, the masculine, the masculine will, go into how can we make this happen and then he can't figure it out or the masculine energy can't and then that's that's amazing i mean i i will have to say i haven't experienced it so much as in the gendered practice of it or haven't studied it in that way but i will say the place to start is awareness so or like mindfulness because i think a lot of it is people are going through in an sort of like you get programmed, like you said, and so you're just kind of going through thinking that you're making decisions, thinking that you are operating out of your own agency without ever having examined what drives your decisions, what shaped you. And so for me, a lot of it has been, how do I drop in and examine and get curious about and not make assumptions that the way that I think now is right or wrong or even true to me, you know? This year has been one where I've really been looking back at my trauma shaping and recognizing like, oh, there's stuff that, there's stuff I think I don't like that I have no idea if I would like it or not. It's just like, you know, it's just been like a no that was programmed in. There's stuff I think I, I, I've been telling myself I do like or I do want. They're like, every time I actually get that, I don't really enjoy that. Maybe I don't like that. So trying to kind of slow it down and be like, do I even like that? You know, or like, I've noticed this with certain people where it'll be like this person, like everyone loves this person. I'm like, you guys should be friends. And I'll be like, oh, you know, it's not really doing it for me. You know, I'm like, they're fine. I'm glad they're alive. Go on. But like, I feel like I'm like, it's taking me a while to get in touch with the visceral inside myself. It's like, this is clear. I like that person. or I like this moment. Or I like this. It's taken me a long time to learn the distinction of a yes inside myself. Some things to practice. One is basic meditation. I feel like I say this for almost everything, but I'm like, if you don't know how to spend even five minutes quietly with yourself, it's going to be very hard to do the rest of it. You know, if you don't know how to be like, what do I think about this? Or how do I feel about it? Another thing, there's this exercise that Robert Gass and the Social Transformation Project, they, they teach through Rockwood. It's like a have to choose to, and you do a listing And so you make a list of all the things in your life that you think you have to do. And then you really examine it because basically all of them are actually choices, (laughs) except for dying, basically almost every other thing that you're like, well, I have to, you know, I have to go take care of my parents right now, or I have to raise my child this way, or I have to. And it's just like, if you actually have to pay the rent, it's like, you don't have to pay the rent. If you don't pay the rent, there'll be consequences. And there's a lot of people who've made that choice and, some of them are happier and some of them are not. And it's all a choice. And so I use that sometimes to, to just shake myself up a bit when I am feeling like I'm operating out of obligation, mostly because people can feel it when you're coming out of obligation. So you can feel it when someone's like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here taking care of you. You know, your kids can feel it when you're like, totally okay, let's spend time together. I'm like, no, what can I do to realign myself with this moment? You know, what can I do to get excited and soften and and be here? This is what I think unconditional love is so crucial for parents to have because 
you know, again, every time I go through the doula work, I'm just like, yep, this would not work if you didn't have unconditional love. Cause there'd just be some moment where you're like, sorry, little bitch, you cannot eat right now. It's too much. Like I, you know, it's too much. You're doing too much. And there's watching parents over and over again, override that move past that. And it's not, I have to take care of this child. It's like, I chose to make this child. And then I chose to go through with it. And then I chose to raise this child in this configuration of support. And if I need a different configuration of support, I'm going to have to choose differently, right? Sorry for the cursing, by the way. Feel free to edit me. Oh, it's great. <laughs> I'm just like, I curse all the time. Um, you are welcome to say whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah, but I think that, that those are two practices. One is just meditation, and the second is really doing an assessment of how many things in your life currently are actually choices versus things you, you feel like you have to do. And then see if you can shake up one thing. My sister has been teaching me, uh, my sister Autumn, about the power of the small adjustment and, you know, figuring out like what is one place, one thing that I regularly do that feels like an obligation that I can transform, either stop doing it, set a boundary. Oh, boundaries are my favorite. Yes. I love boundaries so much. Yeah. So setting a boundary, inviting a new practice in. The other thing that I'll say, maybe this is the third practice, but it really helps to add the things you love into your life. Because the more you're actually doing stuff that you're like, I really actually enjoy this, it makes it harder and harder to settle. Like this is the kind of magic of Audre Lorde's teaching through the uses of the erotic is like, once you have felt that full aliveness and felt that joy and felt that sensation of like, oh, I can really feel all of myself in this moment, it makes it much harder to settle for suffering. It makes it harder to settle for dead time. It makes it harder to settle for you know, being bored. Like, I'm just like, I'm not bored. You know, <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm never bored. And when I hear that from people, I'm like, oh, okay. Like you haven't, you're not awakened the parts of you that really feel good. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually really, I don't know the last time I was bored. No, I think I was like 12 the last time I, I was bored. Yeah. That's the thing. It's such a good, me- I mean, to me, it's a really good measure. Like people who are living their lives on purpose you don't see a lot of boredom. So that's a big measure that if you're like feeling bored a lot, zoned out a lot, giving a ton of your time to other people's creations rather than your own. That's also something I track for is like, I'm like, I love binge watching my television shows and stuff, but I'm like, I try to keep a balance between how much am I creating versus taking in creation. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. Yeah. I'm on that as well. Well, I have a, I have one question regarding something you mentioned earlier and I actually read it in your book regarding the time for you to kind of move into your doula work. Well, I actually, I have two questions. Okay. This goes back to something we've we've already mentioned. What was it about helping that woman who was being attacked Uh that allowed you to kind of switch gears to be like, okay, I'm ready to take on birth. I'm ready to take on death. (laughs) That's great. I think it was two things. I think it was the actual moment itself. And realize, I didn't realize until after the moment when I had blood, I had like blood on my hands and blood on my clothing. It was like afterwards, I was like, oh yeah, she was totally like bleeding all over the place. And he had attacked her. He had had a hammer. And so he had hurt her. Like she, you know, you could see where he had hit her. And there was all this stuff that I was like, if you, you know, just theoretically, if I told myself about that incident, I would have been like, oh, God, no, I can't deal at all. Right. But then in the actual moment with this actual person, I was able to be there. So noticing that. And then she came out of the hospital maybe a week later and found me. I still don't know her name, which is wild to me. Like she found me out on my patio and was like, 
you saved my life. The ambulance, the folks on the ambulance said, if you had not stayed there and kept me talking and kept me engaged, if I had fallen asleep or passed out at that moment, I might not have made it through that experience. And we both were like crying and just having this whole moment. And I was like, oh, this thing that did not, it seemed like, you know, it seemed like the only possible thing to do to me. And, but it was also a relatively small thing. Like it was maybe 15 minutes total, you know, of time, mm -hmm. right? Before the ambulance, like it felt like forever, but like, you know, I was like, oh, it wasn't really that long. And it changed the whole trajectory of her life just to basically have someone there to hold her hand and be like, I see you, I see the divine in you. And so then the next time someone asked me to do it, it was a friend of mine, a little older than me, who had a daughter who's 16 and her daughter was pregnant. And she was like, can you walk with my daughter? And there was a lot of factors. Uh, there was a lot of complicated stuff, but I was like, I can. And I knew that I could, like that I knew that the part of me that knew I could came from that experience. And I was like, there's nothing this 16 year old can go through that I can't be there face to face with her through it. Like I can walk her through it. And I had this woman who was willing to mentor an apprentice, you know, I could be her apprentice. And she was like a master doula mm -hmm. has gone on to be a home birth midwife. She knew all this stuff. So she was like, I'll walk with you, but you've got the instinct. And that's the belief too. And like doula is different from almost any other birth worker. I think that traditionally it's always just been the work that we all do. It's like, we're just like, oh, are you going through it? Now we all show up for you. And now someone else is going through it. Now we all show up. And I'm a little sad that doula has become, you know, such a like, you go to school and you get certified and all this stuff happens. For a lot of people, they go and do all that before they've ever been around a birth. Oh, and to yeah. me, I'm like, it should be the reverse, you know, it's that you like go and you just be part of a team and you're in the room, like hand me a towel or hand me a whatever. But you need to know that you can handle the intensity of what's going to happen in the room whichever way it goes too. Like if it's like, we're losing this baby right now, or, you know, I was with my sister through her miscarriage and it was just like, this is the whole life of this child. This is the whole journey that we're going to get together. We have to be here for this, you know? And I want doula do, you know, I feel like similarly about the word facilitator as doula, like I'm an evangelist about both of these ways of being in the world. Cause I'm like, we need help. We all need so much help. And <laughs> We just need to have an orientation, something inside of us that's like, oh, when the time comes, I can help other people out and just be a witness. You know, like also we get socialized to listen, like, like it's double dutching, you know, it's like I'm listening until I can jump in. Yeah. And the thing I love about doula work and some facilitation is like, it's explicitly the other thing that you're trying to do. Like, you're just like, you just, I need you to talk. You know, if you're the mom and you're, it's 5 a.m. in the morning and you've got to stay awake because you're trying to breastfeed this child and you haven't slept all night. I'm going to be there and we're just going to talk, you know, or I'm like, you keep telling me stuff. And facilitation is the same way. It's just like, just keep telling me stuff, you know, because we're here and this is in your heart. What's going on? You know, because you can only stare at the baby so long. I mean, the baby is amazing. Right? You run, at a certain point, you're just like, it's been three hours, you're cluster feeding. Someone remind me I'm doing miraculous things right now. <laughs> oh. Yeah. We all need so much help. I was so listening help. to you. It's just so beautiful. Thank you for thank you for doing that work. I wish you could have been with us when Ruby was born. Yes. You know, and you know, I, I wish just, I, want, I do want someone like me for you know, I'm like I want doulas for everybody Everyone. that gives birth. But I also am like there's other moments when you need doula work. So like me and my yeah. friends doula each other through all kinds of stuff. I'm like 
you know, I've had a friend who reached out like my, he, my guy was yelling at me and I was like, we're going to do what you do. You know, we're going to get you out of this situation. You know, we're going to help you through this breakup or help you through this renegotiation or whatever it is. But I think if we all were oriented, you know, oriented that way, like, Oh, what it means to take on relationship with another person is like, I'm going to care for you when it's messy and I'm going to let you care for me when it's messy and then find the pleasure in that. Cause there's pleasure in all of that. Like, being real is very pleasurable. It is. So there's a, lo- a line in, um, there's two lines, one in emergent strategy that I guess it's, I think it's one of the principles of emergent strategy, less preparation, more presence. Yes. And um, I've read that page to about a million people. When they come over, I get on my <laughs> book. <laughs> I'm like, listen to this. That's something um, you need to hear. That's great. Yeah, I do. And so I get worried and I'll just be really transparent. Like even coming to have this conversation, I get worried about like saying the right thing and having the right question and doing the plan a plant. Like, you know, and we come, we, I will say like, we've set ourselves up well because we always come to the podcast having, you know, knowing who the person is, but we never plan the questions. So yes, that helps. You practiced. But like, how do you, as, I mean, working with the gravitas and importance of the movements that you work with. Yeah. And also having gone to Columbia and having the educational background you have, like where preparation is, at least in my experience, I didn't go to Columbia, but like it's everything, like being prepared, you know. How did you, if at all, how did you unlearn that and yeah. stick into that present? That's so great. You know, you, you also, wasn't your yeah. dad military? Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's And he was definitely like military. Like, I, I really would like my children to be in line. <laughs> you know? yeah. he was like, they, you know, I go, I can get all of these men to line up and do what I say. I come back and you little girls will not do. No. Just don't listen work. to your dad. Why is that? So, um, <laughs> but I will say, you know, I always try to clarify that it's not no prep, all present, right? That there's like, it's figuring out what is the amount of preparation that will actually, you know, let me be here. But I find that people go overboard. And I, this kind of comes out of like the number of times I've been like supporting groups or whatever. And someone's like text, you know, sends me an email at 3.30 in the morning. Like I just finished the PowerPoint. And so just if you have a chance to look it over at 6 a.m. before we start the meeting or whatever. And I'm like, you, it's all writing on you. You know, like what's going to happen in the meeting tomorrow is all writing on how compelling you are. And instead of sleeping and, you know, trusting in the brilliance of what you come up with and all of that, you've been looping because that's what it, you know, it's like if you're doing a PowerPoint until 3 a.m., you've probably been looping and over editing and repeating and moving. So, you know, you're not trusting what you know, and you're going to show up on three hours of sleep and maybe an injection of coffee and go through a PowerPoint that no one really wants to fucking look at because it's probably not one of those cool what gifts and stuff like that. You probably were like, I'll put as many, how many words can I put on here? <laughs> and so it's just like having that experience so many times and just watching the boat get missed, right? I'm just like, you just missed it. You had these folks, they were ready to be in your hand, but there was nothing of you. They couldn't feel anything of you. And so they all, everyone's trying to stay awake instead of trying to figure out how to get involved in what you're sharing. So that doing that enough times with people just being like, it works better if you are well rested and trusting yourself. It works better if you figure out like how much time do I need actually need ahead of time to do this well. 
and then not doing too much more than that. And especially if, you know, you can feel when someone's like, this means something to me. This idea is really exciting to me. I'm like, if you, if it's exciting to you, then you know it, trust yourself, let it come out of your mouth. You know, I do think this worry about trying to say everything correct is it's also something like for my sister and I's podcast, we really are like, we don't map out the conversation. Sometimes we'll generate questions beforehand, mostly just to kind of try to bring the fire hose down into something reasonable because we're both like, <laughs> I want to ask 30 questions, you know, like it's just like, okay, we only have this much time and then trusting the conversation, trusting the other person. And I will say that that piece around, oh, how do I trust myself and the conversation in this moment of social media where like, if I say the wrong thing, I'm going to get dragged across the internet or something horrible could happen. And I've really just been resting in like, that can happen no matter what. Like most of the times when people are getting dragged across the internet, whatever they said was taken out of context, you know, and sometimes it is something that there's like, you need to be dragged for that, you know? Yeah. And I really am excited for some post-punishment cultural moments, but we'll see <laughs> when we get to those. But I, I'm like, it's more important to me to be a real person. And I'm like, if there's folks who are not aligned with what I really believe, then whatever I'm producing is not really for them. You yeah. know, like I'm not writing to try to reach someone who's 180 degrees from me politically. I'm not writing to impress people who want to troll me. Like I'm not you know, doing stuff for that. I'm really like, I'm oriented towards people, mostly black women and other women of color and then other people of color and other people of all genders who are really about wonder, pleasure, nature, and being revolutionary. You know, I'm like, it's a very particular group of people that I'm writing to. I'm kind of blown away by how many other people who don't identify, you know, like, I don't think of myself as like obsessed with wonder, but I'm like, but you kind of feel wonder right now. You know, like- <laughs> Other people are like tapping into wonder or tapping into their, their actual revolutionary potential. And that all excites me. And I'm very clear that I'm like, I produce for a certain group of people. And so what I know that they need most is for me to actually fully show up when I'm facilitating. I tend to facilitate super over planners and highly productive plan oriented mm -hmm. people. And so in some ways it's a balance between us. Like they'll come over prepared and I'll come very present and I'm like my presence will help sustain us through a day where all your preparation can actually get heard. And then I'm also, I'm having some influence on some of, some of them and they're having influence on me in terms of like, where can we not mess around? Where do we need to do more planning or more prep? And then I, for them, I can feel them being like, Oh, we can just trust this. We can trust each other and show up and, and somewhere in the balance is the right is the way. Beautiful. May I ask one more question and then you can, you can do your thing? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know, like, I know how excited I am right now. So. so sweet. So I have been reading my wife's copy of the book. So good. I have a good way to do it. Well, I got to buy my own now because like. Is it all notes? It is insane. It's, it, it's, it's insane. I think I've never done it. No, and that's what I was going to say. Like, this, this is actually leads into my question. This book, I've never seen, a, we have hundreds of books in our house. Nothing yeah. has been marked up as, you know, dogged. I'm using a giant postcard to be my bookmark because there's no other way for me to determine which page. <laughs> and so I'm able to see like what excites Kate as I'm reading yeah. this and like what resonates with her. But I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. For some reason, your website this week wasn't working. 
when I was it was it was so it was my fault that my website went down this week because the people who like hosted I guess yep. sent me many emails saying you need to do a update of some upware of some soft date I don't know see like I literally <laughs> can't speak this language and so I had to go on Facebook and find someone to rescue me they just rescued me it's back up now this is why I need to hire people to help me because I'm like I don't know about technology I don't yeah. know math I don't speak any other languages I just do one thing transformation <laughs> so I went on it's the best thing yeah. <laughs> it's true and so I went on podcasts and I just started listening to all these podcasts that have been part of People are raving about this book, like that I was listening to on these episodes. And Kate has been talking about this for months. Yeah. What in your view, like what is it from your perspective that is resonating so much with people when it comes to this work? Mm. Because I get it from, I can hear it from Kate. I can hear it from the other women that have interviewed you, but I'm curious about from your perspective. Yeah. What is it? Hmm. I love this. I mean, I think some of it, I think it's two things, maybe. One, like I said at the very beginning, I think that the thing I'm tapped into, I think a ton of people are, have been feeling it. Like, you know, that thing that they talk about, it's like, it's, I don't even know what the study, there's some study about the New York Times crossword puzzle where it's like, if people, if all these people have done it on Sunday and then some other people get that same puzzle on Monday, like their chances of getting it correct are higher because so many people in the world have done it. Really? So, Yes, we can, I'll, we'll find cool. this and we can post that in, here in the link too. But I think there's something like that where like all of these people are like, wait, it's not just that we need to stop the coming apocalypse. It's like we need to fall deeply in love with the world or we are, we're of nature. So I think there's people who are like, oh, we're of nature. And then I think the second thing is just my writing style. For years, I've spent, you know, I, my blog has been a place for me to really experiment with what does it feel like to write conversationally and to write as if we're having a moment together? And so that was the risk I took with the book was like, I'm just going to write this. Like I'm telling a couple of my friends about murmurations and, and other stuff. And it's very nonlinear, you know, which I thought was not going to work. <laughs> I mean, there's so many parts about the book. That I'm like, there's no way anyone's going to read this. And I thought everyone was going to jump to the toolbox and it's all intro. People are like, the intro mm-hmm. is where it's at. Like I, you know, the intro is the part that's the most, when I, when people come to book signings, the intro is the part that's the most marked up. So that has also been like, oh, you know, there is, so it's like, everything's in the narrative. Like, it's like, this is a story. This is a re- this is my real life and my real vulnerability. And then these things are tied together. I think maybe that's the third piece is people are like, oh, like how I date is tied to who I am showing up in my workplace and it's tied to what kind of child I am to my parents. And that's all tied to like, did I spend my time on earth? Well, and it's Mm -hmm. like, yes, all those things are tied in. And so even though it's an organizer guide, it's really a guide, like here's how to be a better person overall. And it's not my opinion. You know, it's like, it's like, look out your window find a creature, try to do something like what they're doing, you know? <laughs> and then the footnotes apparently are a big hit. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah, the footnotes. <laughs> just like, but this is, this is also about being like, I never quite graduated from Columbia and I've never pursued any other higher education. And I basically like footnotes again on my nerves in most books. I'm just like, tell me something more about this. So my, my footnotes are a little sacrilegious. They're my favorite part. Like, 
That's what people say that all the time. They're like, I, I love that out footnote. Out. <laughs> the, footnote, the footnote about Dune. I mean, okay. So anyway, yes. okay. my final question. Yes. Because your time is sacred and precious. Time. Is about the line, birds coast when they can. Mm-hmm. So yes. it's something, 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 yep. birds coast when they can. Yes. yes. I have read that line a million times. So I've got this book coming out called Do Less and Without, <laughs> without knowing what I was talking about, I, 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 a lot of the book is biomimicry, which I did not know until I read your book. Um, oh, yay. So, and I quoted you several times and re- highly recommend the book in my book. So what I want to know is, um, <laughs> as somebody who's very aware of all the things that need doing in the world, all the problems yes. that need solving and, and all of that, like how, just talk to me about birds coast when they can and how that informs you and your work and your life. Yeah, that's great. I think what you're talking about, there's something that's like, what's easy is sustainable. Yes. And that's what birds coast when they can. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that has been such a great lesson to me because it's like, if you really have a sense of where you're going, if you truly have a sense of where you're going and you begin to really trust that there's an internal fire to get there, then there's a like, oh, let me sustain myself. I really want to get there. Like that piece, I think that so much of the hyper doing is about a lack of vision and a lack of moral compass, a lack of a moral North Star. So it's like, I haven't figured out where the fuck I'm going, but I just, I got to do stuff and prove that my life is worth something. I've got to prove myself to somebody. And so we try to prove ourselves to our parents. We try to prove ourselves to our bosses, to our friends, to our, you know, we go to back to our high school reunion, like, look, you know, and it's just all this empty, empty things because you can never really be satisfied by satisfying someone else, right? You have to figure out like inside, what am I supposed to do here? And that that might be anything, you know, like I feel like I've met people who were like, I thought it was my career. And then I had this child and I was like, I was meant to do this. I'm meant to raise this child right now. And like, that's the most meaningful thing I could do with my life or vice versa. Right. And I thought it was going to be like raising kids and having a family, but actually like, I'm not fully satisfied there. I have to also produce this thing in the world. And so I think once people have found the North star, it kicks on your own engine. Like you're like, I am driven towards that thing. And you're no longer doing for the sake of doing, you're doing to move. And so when you're doing a move, you're like, I know I'm going to be flying in this direction. So now I can coast a little bit because I'm actually tired and I want to preserve my energy. And I want to be in the beautiful dance with what is dancing with me. You know, and I, I think about that a lot is I'm like, when you're coasting, there's a way that you're like, I surrender being fully in control of the direction, you know, like I'll catch this now I'll catch that. And I feel like my life works best when I'm able to do some of that. You know, I'm driving intensely, you know, the pleasure activism book. I'm like, I'm finishing this book. I'm doing all these interviews. I'm getting all the editing done. It's super exciting. And then I'm like, and now I handed it over and I have to like coast. You know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I've got two months until the book comes out. There's really not much more I can do about it right now. I'm not a self promoter in the way that, Maybe I should be, but this is my life. You know, it's like for the way I'm living my life, I'm like, I'm like, people will pick up this the same way as emergent strategy. It's like people picked up emergent strategy and told their friends to read it. And that's how you have learned about it. Like everyone I know who's learned about it, there's been no advertisement. Everyone's gotten it from someone else who was like, I love this, right? And I'm like, if this book is the same, people will love it. And so there's a coasting of like, let me trust the effort that I put out 
And I think for more people, that's the move. It's like, don't work until you break down. And then you just, you're like, I can't do anything. Now I need a total absence from my life. Yeah. I'm like, actually, you can make it further if you're just like, I'm going to coast. And I think like, it's so interesting. Like we live in a culture where it's like weekends exist and we have destroyed weekends. You know, we are like, we fill weekends with a million other things again, because we're not saying yes to the thing we should say with our main lives. So then weekend becomes like, oh, on the weekends, I will do everything else. Yeah. And I meet people, I'm like, when was the last time you laid in bed, you woke up and just stayed in bed and read something and then took a bath. And then, you know, like when's the last time you just woke up and followed your impulses for the day? To me, that's really the nourishing thing for a system. And I'm like, that's coasting too, is to be like, I'm in my life. And now I'm going to coast through until Monday. I'm just going to actually like not have to be on point all the time. And I'll, I'll add this as the last thing, which has been really interesting to me. I'm curious to see how it plays out, but particularly for people who are on point in their lives, the coasting is how we really survive because we're so used to being in charge. And I think a lot of women, strong women end up in really unhealthy relationships because they're looking for someone who will let them give up responsibility for a little bit. And so often that ends up being a toxic overpowering power. And I'm like, I don't think you would need that so much if you coasted sometimes, right? If you were like, oh, I can give myself this. I can give myself a Saturday of no responsibilities and coast, right? And then on Sunday, pick it back up. And maybe you coast with a partner, maybe you don't. But I think that that, to me, I'm like, what you need is to say, I am a fully responsible, driven human being. I am doing miraculous work in the world. And I worked really hard and I'm going to rest really hard and then I'm going to work some hard more, <laughs> you know? And I want to say, I'm super excited you're doing the do less book because my friend, Jesse Maceo Vega, you may know of, but is one of my favorite meditation people in the world, meditation teachers. And he has this effort called do less for peace. And it's really specifically that it's just like, sit, <laughs> you know, the whole thing is like inviting people to sit and to meditate for peace. But this concept of like doing less but doing deeper and doing better and doing more. It's, it really is how the natural world is oriented. It's like folks are not just scurrying around and efforting for no reason. You effort to survive and then you spend time with your species. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, thank you. This has been so much fun. I yeah. think it's the greatest. I really this appreciate it. This is so great. We're worth the wait. We, we had a great time. We were worth the wait. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you. Thank you all so much. And I hope you have a great rest of the day, year. You're our, you're our New Year's episode, so this is perfect. January 1st, 2019. Oh, Thank my G. Okay, that's so exciting. Well, yeah. I wish everyone a year free of resolutions and full of transformation. And we will see you next week.